0: Hello and welcome to episode 85 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and the new format that is called Pioneer. We're jumping right into it. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps.
1: Stan, you got the tank on. Going just full tank mode. That's right. Is, is that a is that a band tank top? I see a little guitar.
0: It is, yeah. It's this local band called White Mystery. Fun fact, this is the only tank top I own.
1: Yeah, it looks good. I wear it all the time.
0: Only when it's super hot. Also with us, the godfather, Dave Harbarger.
2: In strict contrast to Stan's tank top, I'm wearing a button-down shirt and a lovely cravat. Is that a flannel? I'm bringing, I'm bringing class and sophistication to what's sure to be a hot episode of The Dive Down.
0: Both of you guys are wearing button-downs.
2: I thought it was casual Monday. Yeah, I, I've,
1: been, I've been wearing t-shirts for like three straight months, so I decided to let's get fancy.
0: Man, I better step it up. On this week's episode, we're diving into the one-drops that could with our in-depth look at the Neapolitan flavors of prowess. We'll discuss how splashing blue, black, or green have changed the identity of this nearly two-year-old archetype, and maybe even have a lively debate about why good decks can run bad cards
2: and that's going to be about modern and there's nothing to talk about ever in pioneer so we're just skipping it this week.
0: Yeah, nothing interesting or newsworthy happened in the magic world this week, so no breakdown.
2: Uh guys? Wh- what? <clears throat> I know I know you've it's been busy at work, but there was a, a pretty big banning. I mean, I'm onboarding at a new job.
1: There was a ban announcement what? this morning.
2: But there wasn't an announcement of the announcement. What?
1: what? I know, I know. It was kind of out of nowhere. Um I, but I I was I was watching I was f ing as I do every morning on the mothership because I need to get that hot hot Watsy content.
2: Is that your homepage portal? Did you set it up as your auto load? Yeah, and then clip when something changes,
1: Clippy tells me, "Hey, this webpage changed. Check it out." And I'm like, "Cool, Clippy.
2: Check it out." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's there's some big there's some big stuff. So wait, there was a ban. So what did they just like? Did they just like get rid of um I don't know, ban thoughtsies or? wild something. slash yeah wild slash i think
1: it's a little there's a few uh, how about let's you guys i'll do the i'll do the housekeeping i'll do all the housekeeping you guys go read i'll send you the link to the bnr announcement and do some housekeeping how about that yeah i'll go cram okay thanks to new patron eric e appreciate you joining the dive down nation increased tier members long time buddies Hanger Outers into the Super Secret Slack server, Jason W. and Dom M., we appreciate you guys moving up a tier. They are pushing for these deck boxes. Our stretch goal, they specifically are like, hey, we want these deck boxes. We still have a little while to go. Uh, if you are interested in joining the Dive Down Nation, helping us out, throwing us a buck or more a week, then you can go to patreon.com slash the dive down Uh, a buck a week gets you access to the super secret Slack server. We're always hanging out, chatting there, moving on from there, gets you various benefits like access to the show notes. You can get the episode early. It's getting pretty reliably cut like a day or two early, which is sweet. Um, We get stuff like uh, play mats, tokens, signed cards, all that kind of cool stuff that you would expect from a podcast as professional as ours. So yeah, uh, come help us out. We appreciate it.
2: <laughs> Shane.
1: Dave. Dave. Uh, Google. Google Ian Duke.
2: You know you know where you should go if you want to know about band announcements?
1: Oh, hold on, hold on. mtgbandswhen.com, right? I, I usually go to mtgbandswhen.com.
0: That's my homepage.
1: Yeah, that's actually the best way to find out about bands because Dave made this webpage uh, a few months ago and we update it when there's an announcement of an announcement of an announcement or when announcements happen. Like they did today. Um, new reviews. So we asked last week. We said, hey, we hadn't had a review in a while. We got seven new reviews. We should do this every week.
2: Thanks, everybody.
1: So we haven't had, we haven't had any reviews in a while, everybody. So this week, get out there and do it again. But really, thanks to Steven 70409 You must really like cleaning sprays. Uh, Sugar Bandit. Sir Jaco ALC 321 Squirrel Virtuoso, good name. Andrew D and Matthias. So thanks for your reviews. We appreciate your feedback and helping us be found on stuff like iTunes. You guys, do you guys have a chance to read that now? Uh I'm still I'm still interneting.
0: I found the clip notes.
1: All right. I'll just go to manage. I'll go to the mana traders promo. So mana traders. They're awesome. We have used them for a long time. We now get 20% off first three months for new subscribers who use code, the dive down all one word. Mana traders, you know what this does now, right? You go there, you give them a little bit of money. They let you rent magic online cards at which you can then play in formats of your choosing. And that's really good. You can get, you can practice any deck, which is sweet. You don't have to like sell cards to bots and stuff like that. It just works so well. They do run those monthly events. We talked about the modern 15K last month. That happened. And uh, also you get better prize support in their events when you're a subscriber. And what's cool is you don't have to be a subscriber to play in their events. It's free money. They're moving on. It's free money. It's free real estate. It's free Magic the Gathering. It is free because you can play in the tournament practice
2: room. Thank you so much to Manatraders.com. Use code. Did we get a new code? No, it's still the same code. Okay. Use code the Dive Down All One Word, to get 20% off your first three months. Okay, Stan. I talked through all that so that you could read. You ready for this? You didn't talk through that so I could do like bad radio foley bits? No, I like it. That was a good bit.
0: I am ready. So I did not actually have to cram. I was there when the most legendary BNR of all time happened.
2: I mean, you kind of spoil it in the intro that you knew. Did I? <laughs> force ranking BNR announcements. This is up. This is at the top for you. One of the top ones.
0: Yeah, this was a big one. Just it was a surprise. Stunning surprise of the century, I say.
2: Very true. So tell us about this, Dan.
0: Yeah. So Monday morning, Dateline, Renton, Washington published a new ban and restricted announcement without giving their usual weeks notice. And we say usual, but they've only been doing this like this year. So we got used to it quick, but definitely a surprise.
2: Small digression: um, There was a poll posted by, I believe it was by Aaron Forsyth today, that said, "Do you want us to give you notice or not for band announcements?" And seventy-five percent of respondents said no. Mm-hmm. So I would not expect them to keep up with the announcement of an announcement thing from now on. But just a, just a small aside there. Let's get to the let's get to the real story, Stan.
0: Yes, what actually changed? modern no changes pioneer four changes sit down guys are you sitting i am i can't tell if you're using a standing desk all right in pioneer
2: i'm in i'm in chair pose i do this for two hours i know that this is gonna be so hot i had to unbutton one more button on my shirt
0: inverter of truth band what kethis the hidden hand band what who walking ballista band oh huh? no, no not walking ballista Underworld Breach. Banned. Yeah. Man,
1: that's a lot of cards. This is real. Real, real. So combo is banned. Good combo is banned.
0: Apparently. Dave finally got his wish where creature combat matters.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I feel like this is a weird alternate timeline to the episode that you all did with Everett about three weeks ago when I was out of town where it's kind of like, we're just going to go back and redo the band announcement that we made a few weeks ago. Sorry you believe it was
1: already three weeks
2: ago? I mean, it was fast. Yeah, I, I mean, that three weeks went went quick. I was surprised when I thought about it.
0: Before we really get into the meat of the article, really quick, are you guys generally happy, generally unhappy? Give me your, your knee-jerk reactions.
1: I'm generally happy with the results of the banning, or like the, the cards that were banned, I think are all probably fine to be banned. The issue, however, is I'm not really... Just as I was three weeks ago, I think the messaging here is poor. And I'll get into aspects of why I think that's the case as we go through the announcement, as we usually do. I feel like, I think long story short, Watsi gave in. That's what
2: I feel like. You know, the, the kids whined long enough that they went to get ice cream. Yeah, but it's great. The ice cream is so good. And you don't have to put walking ballista on top anymore, on, or you don't have to put kethis on top of your Sunday anymore. You can have other kinds of Sundays again. It's like, Baskin Robbins suddenly went from Baskin Robbins four to Baskin Robbins 31 again. And I am ready for that. What kind of, what blizzard do you get, Dave? Uh, Chocolate peanut butter Reese's. That kind of thing is always my, my thing. That sounds good. Stan, blizzard take.
0: I like the, the dilly bars.
1: (laughs) Wow. I like anything that once had Dennis the menace on it in the,
2: in the old school DQ. Shane, what about your answer? You didn't give your answer.
1: Oh, uh, Butterfinger vanilla ice cream. That's all I need.
0: So the Pioneer article is kind of long, actually. I'm not going to read the whole thing word for word, but there were some excerpts that I do want to discuss, and I think gave us really interesting insight into really R and D's decision making process over the last three weeks since their last BNR. The article kicks off with the last banned and restricted list update. We chose to unban Oath of Nissa and Pioneer. This wasn't intended to be a major update to the format or an alternative to other changes, but rather what we viewed as a relatively safe unban in the context of a metagame that was looking healthy by many metrics, if you say so.
2: Stop right there. Yeah, there's just one more sentence. But I, I did not actually read the announcement until just now. Wow! What were you doing? I just read the list of cards. What were you doing when when I was when I was reading all that stuff? But then I did folio bits, but I didn't read all of the paragraphs. I kind of skimmed it. That sentence, a metagame that was looking healthy by many metrics. Where you guys been? Where you been?
0: Oh, don't What's worry, that? we haven't heard the last of the very healthy metagame in this BNR yet. Okay. They go on to say that much community discussion followed that update, prompting us to take a further look. At the need for change and pioneer. So, a couple things I like here: a acknowledgement that they heard us. The community is the dive down, and I guess other podcast players, people on Twitter, Reddit, and beyond.
2: I mean, Stan, Aaron Forsythe got your tweet. That's that's what it is.
0: <laughs> that's right. I can only assume he reads every everyone who adds him.
1: Look, this this community discussion was happening before this update, or before that update, three weeks ago. This is not new community discussion. I was like, well, our 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 lack of action pioneer led to much community discussion. It's like, no. You got you all knew this was happening beforehand too. It's disingenuous. Again.
2: Yeah. I am a little worried that none of us were never gonna get a preview <laughs> card if this if this the tenor of this discussion continues the way that it's going. But let let's go on. It's fun. Let's have fun. I'll get I'll get I'll get less mocking.
0: Listen, we do this for the fans, not for the watsy suits.
2: You know, it's, <laughs> it's fine with me.
0: They're probably business casual, let's be honest.
2: If you want to have it be a burn book, this episode, this this breakdown is the episode burn book, we'll, we'll do it.
0: The article continues, although we continue to see many different decks have success in Pioneer, and no decks with problematic win rates against the field, as... They keep telling us. We do see that combo decks, as a group, make up a large portion of the competitive metagame. We've heard feedback that the frequency at which one finds themselves facing an opposing combo deck restricts deck-building options and can make play experiences unenjoyable. While win-rate data may not point to change being needed, a different, more important set of of data does player participation. Why? Why are they, like reinforcing this that we're wrong I don't understand the need to keep telling us that the data is okay I don't get it
1: and
2: player participation was already poor yeah I don't I don't get what the benefit to them is to say this any of this is really so weird um I will say I do like that they acknowledge here something that we've talked about a little bit which is that perception is a little bit of reality in magic. When it comes to if people want to play your game or not, and especially in a format that is full of enfranchised players, if they think it's boring, they will either stop or go to a different format, and many of them will stop. And so I like that they're acknowledging what the most important metric is, which is how many people are showing up.
0: Yeah, I mean, totally agreed. I I wish the messaging was a little less passive aggressive, but I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. We've also seen a decline in pioneer play rates on magic online throughout the course of the year ultimately how much fun players are having with the environment is the most important driving force behind bnr updates so we're choosing to ban four cards to shake things up and push the competitive metagame away from combo decks so we're choosing to ban cards to shake things up is i will say a welcome change here but Not something I necessarily want to see in future BNRs as the sole reason to make a change to a format.
1: Yeah, I don't really like this like overtly expressed reasoning of of shaking things up. I think it's a pretty poor driving factor. Like, hey, you you all aren't playing. You all were vocal. Metagame's fine, but we're going to shake things up. Like three weeks ago, they used community sentiment Deck building restrictions due to the presence of Tron, repetitive gameplay as these rationales for their popper ban of just Expedition map, right? And instead of being what I would consider to be somewhat reasonable, Watsy here just says, "Fine, you want change? Here's your change. We're shaking things up, Jerry." <laughs> it's just like this irrational sounding statement to me from them. Do you know what I mean? It's like it doesn't come from like a place of like temper and reasoning like even their three week ago announcement
2: was just sort of like fine we're shaking things up well i just to be clear what you're saying is that they essentially banned expedition map for the same reason as they're banning these cards is that what you're saying but the tone of the way they set it here is like unnecessary is that where you're coming from
1: yeah i think i think the tone here is just a little bit like it's not coming from like they're usually hyper reasonable sort of arguments and it's just sort of like you know our argument now is just like you don't like it so we'll change it the win rate data shane the, the data wasn't there i know i've had the, i don't want to repeat my stuff from three weeks three weeks ago here what it's just like I'm, i don't i don't love this This stance
2: yeah just to be clear it's not that you don't love the stance is that you don't love the way it's delivered or okay is that's, that wrong? that's fair that's fair because you're fine with them banning these cards a eh? I'm not wrong about that, am I? You're fine with him banning. Well,
1: these hold guys. on. This, I guess it depends on the, the use of the word stance, right? Because who is that batter that had like he 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 held the bat like uh Kirby Puckett held the bat really funny? I don't like his stance, but I like when he had home runs. Jim Tomey
2: did that weird waggle thing, you know? That's just that's just setting yourself up. All right, look. No, I'm I'm I don't mean to like belabor this, Shane, but I genuinely but look, my take is that I am totally fine with these reasons for banning these cards, A. B, I'm totally fine with banning these cards. C, this this announcement seems like it was kind of hastily written and poorly edited, and like sure. nobody went over it for tone and said, let's take our foot off the gas. But whatever. The net is fine.
1: Yeah, it's like my first drafts before you guys tone me down.
0: Not to get too nitpicky because diminishing returns, but I think to call this a shakeup is a little disingenuous. I consider a shakeup when a new set comes out, you inject a bunch of new technology into a format and people have new cards and tools to play with. I think that's a shakeup. This is a correction. This is the format went into a direction that was unhealthy and unsustainable for the player base and they had to essentially reverse course to make it more engaging for the people who were no longer participating.
2: Love it. Hire this guy yeah. to write your press releases.
1: Which, which is sort of fitting, unfortunately, with sort of the last year plus of magic. Like you look at the BNR history wiki in like 2020 is just you know, 2019 and 2020 is just bonkers list compared to, you know, five years before that even.
0: So one of the surprising cards on this list was Kethis, the hidden hand, and I think a lot of people us included on the podcast, shared a little trepidation when Oath, was, Oath of Nissa was unbanned that now the format might just become four combo decks instead of three. But they acted quickly and wrote, While Kethas combo decks are a relatively new re-emergence in the metagame, we're seeing signs that these decks are already problematic and would become more so if other top decks were weakened. Kethas decks are currently among the top five O trophy winners in Magic Online Pioneer Leagues, despite being a modest portion
2: of the field the win rates on kathis apparently were bad yeah it's a powerful deck i want to know specifically which deck they felt like did not have a high enough win rate they never told us are they just saying that inverters is a sub 50 percent deck is that what the code for the win rates aren't problematic is because that's exactly what this says kathis is among the top 50 trophy winners before despite being a modest portion of the field not many p- people are playing it but lots of people are trophying with it is what they're saying
0: out of curiosity have any of you guys played against Kathis?
1: i have not recently but I definitely have faced it i don't know half dozen times probably it's it's kind of it's a very annoying deck to play against because it it doesn't operate on some of the traditional aspects of magic that people are used to and that's not an excuse for banning it by any means right but I have heard it compared to even something like KCI. And I don't think that's entirely disingenuous because I think it's, there's some weird interactions and weird card text that the pilot gets and some inexperienced opponents, even myself are kind of like, I think I know what's going to happen here. And I think I know how I want to stop it, but I don't really know what's going on. And then at some point loops happen and then you like likely die and combine the, combine the gameplay patterns with the power inherent in the strategy. And I think that that's the kind of deck that typically doesn't last too long. It usually doesn't go this quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this got banned pretty quickly after Oath came back. But um, I think it's probably a, a good take to just be just get it out of there before it can have a chance to be the new combo deck and make everyone mad again and they have to revisit it again.
0: My only thing is, I think you beat Kethis in with one of the same ways you would beat Breach is just graveyard hate. Like, I don't think Kethis can win through a rest in peace. All right, so the article goes on. Our intent is to dramatically reduce instances where players risk losing to a combo kill when tapping out in the early to mid game. This should open up the field for more traditional mid range and control decks and put less pressure on aggressive decks to also focus on hand disruption and counter spells. Man, I love that sentence. The cards we've chosen are the set that gives us the most confidence in creating a significant shift in the metagame. So what I think they're saying is that they believe this change means Bono Black won't run Thoughtseize anymore and maybe something like InSoul won't have to run Metallic Rebuke.
2: I don't think that's what that says. I think what that says is the only... Aggressive decks that will be were good were ones that had access to Thoughtseize and Counterspells, like Hand Disruption and Counterspells. I think what they're, they're trying to say is that the field will be more open to aggressive decks that are just fast, as opposed to ones that must run this kind of interaction in order to be viable. There's no reason for Black to not run Thoughtseize. It's just one of the best cards. It'll still run it because of that reason, just for value, I think. But um, so I, I think it's more about widening the field of aggro. And I think that's going to be necessary because of what
1: we're going to talk about pretty soon in terms of what's going to happen to the metagame. I think aggro decks going to have to be able to just be aggro decks soon.
0: The part I didn't read was their reasoning for banning Inverter over something like Oracle and basically that was just to ensure that the deck would, you know, stay nerfed without this super reliable enabler and the presence of Jace meant that Inverter could still threaten combo kills out of nowhere. And at least now that without Inverter there's no I win button in the deck.
1: Yeah, maybe we should talk briefly about what wasn't banned and that was also Dig Through Time. And I think there the big sentiment, one of the big sentiments in the community is is kind of like Inverter didn't have to go. Inverter is the most fun I've had playing Magic. A lot of really good players would say some stuff like that. And we've talked about this in the past, where like the Inverter mirror is definitely a skill testing environment. And they're like, well, you know, I think Inverter should have stayed. Maybe just ban Dig Through Time. And Dig Through Time is a problematic card that's going to have to go anyways. Let's just do it now. And like you said, Stan, I think it's just because they just wanted to make this deck no longer viable. Not a thing. And so the surest way to do that is just say, buy Inverter, and we can handle Dig later. I mean, I really think that Dig is probably the only thing keeping a blue-based control deck even like conceivable in the format right now,
2: and they're not overpowered. There's just no way to know right now, Shane. Honestly, I mean, I know that you have your take about what's going to be really good. We don't know. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. second-level effects that'll happen from these bands that are unanticipated by people metagaming about against the decks that come to the top. I mean, I saw somebody... Be like, I got a 5.0 with with Torrential Gearhawk today. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, people are out there on Twitter throwing out some wild stuff. So who who knows where things are going to settle? And that's what makes me excited about this. Although, you know, I, I haven't been super enthusiastic to dip in a Pioneer in a long time. Um, maybe I'll give it a try again. I'm more focused on modern. Stan, talk about perhaps one of the most interesting things. We've already kind of touched on it, which
1: is there was no advance notice on this.
0: That's right. They wrote, In the past, we've given a one-week advance notice for updates to the BNR list. Because of the increased focus on digital play environments during this time period, namely pandemic and quarantine, we're choosing to forego that advance notice and roll out these changes as soon as possible. This isn't necessarily indicative of how we'll announce and implement in the future, and we're continuing to look at how we balance giving players advance notice versus staying agile with respect to changing metagames i'm curious how do you guys feel about this method of announcement today do you prefer the surprise approach do you want a week-long advance or maybe even the scheduled bnrs that we've had for like years prior
2: i think this is the way to do it i voted for that option in aaron Forsyth's poll i think it's just it's just what you need to do. Like take care of the issues when you have it. You, Whenever you create a border that everyone knows about, you create opportunities for weird financial arbitrage and dead formats and all kinds of things. And I think it's probably best to just say, we're going to ban something when it has to be banned. That's it. For sure. I think this is how BNR should just happen. Just bring it on. Like
1: the pre-announcements. I still, I mean, the only thing they really felt like they gave us was a week of conversation and speculation. And ultimately that's just kind of needless and worthless in the end. I mean, it's fun. It's a topic, but it's not something that's really productive, I think, fundamentally. So this just, this just cuts to the chase.
0: Agreed. I think it just makes tournaments better too. You know, Dave, you sort of alluded to this, but we when you don't have dead formats or you don't have like upcoming big events. I think it just makes like these BNRs kind of easier for for players to just sort of embrace in real time and, you know, be as agile as Wattsy wants to be with the news.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to be cognizant of things like modern Grand Prix once in 2022 we get back to, you know, some kind of normalcy, hopefully. But that's a ways off, like they said, and also hopefully they'll just be aware of it.
0: I mean, people may not agree, but I actually think a, a band the week before a Grand Prix would make for a very exciting Grand Prix, especially if there's coverage at that event, which are not always the case at GPs.
2: It's an exciting viewer experience. It's tough for people who are deck masters or whatever, who have a deck selected out and then and are planning to go to the GP and have spent money, et cetera, et cetera. So I hear that, but it's it's a
0: classic double edged blade.
2: Yeah. This blade has two edges.
0: All right, let's react. A lot of news. We don't want to go too long into the breakdown, but we do have some feelings. What do you guys think maybe some of the short to near-term to mid-term to long-term impacts on Pioneer?
1: I think the the best thing is I believe that we will have a dynamic metagame again because the biggest problem with the inverter slash combo meta was that it sort of created the tier zero, the S tier decks that the format had to consider and, and warp themselves around, right? I think that people would, are generally in agreement with this concept. And now that there isn't that just sort of static best deck or best set of decks to choose from, I think decks can then, and players can respond to the metagame like we saw early on in pioneer like we see somewhat often in modern like the best standards have the capability of being um so i think that's the best aspect of it um in terms of like strategies or decks that will get better um briefly i think like i think when combo goes it's time to go over the top like i think Five color Niv is already showing up again with Oath of Nissa being a nice card in that strategy. And I think five color Niv is what we saw uh, as a response to like the large mid range red decks and things like that, where it's like, Hey, uh, I'm just going to go over the top of you with Niv. And I think green or Simic ramp is definitely going to be, make a comeback because it doesn't really need to worry about getting comboed out as it's setting itself up. I think those are two those are two decks and styles of decks that I can see and strategies I can just see coming back is we don't have to worry about combo. Let's get my sort of uninteractive setup thing going. And NIV is very interactive though. And just go over the top with like my Ugans and my uh Uros and my gigantic Hydroid Cracies.
2: You know, I don't know if I have a good take here. I just hope that I get to play some different aggro decks other than mono black i guess because i'm that guy on the podcast now i'm the i'm the aggro guy bring me bring me boros feather make it good again
1: and it might be because it'll be again it's going to become more of a board-based format it's likely and so the interaction while being aggressive of stuff like feather is likely to have more gameplay i think losing ballista is actually kind of a bad thing because it for me, because it is gonna put a hurt on Green Devotion and like the Green Walkers deck, just because that's a great thing to do with mana. If there's any lingering sort of hardened scales players out there, that's not great for them. But I'm I'm hyped to play Bant Ramp. Um, you know, I sold my Euros and Paper a little while ago, but paper doesn't really exist right now.
2: So I can just random on mana traders. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's interesting is that that ballista ban, like that's the card they decided to ban there. It's kind of interesting to me because they left Nycthos which is arguably a pretty broken card as well. They left Heliod, which, you know, still can do some infinite, not infinite stuff, but still could possibly be good in a shell. I wonder if we'll find another outlet for for some of the, um, for that whole engine or not.
0: Yeah, so something that I noticed was today's Monday's Pioneer 5-0 dump had 19 different decks, and the, and the league results from last Thursday, I believe, had 17 so I think one one place to keep an eye on, like, health and format diversity is just the number of decks we see in these in these dumps. and And hopefully that number increases. Like, Modern is in the 20 to 30 range. Sometimes it gets even higher. Like, we've seen 40 decks in Modern. Very different format, of course. But I'd love to see this just, like, get wider and not being wide because there's, like, two or three versions of Burn or two or three versions of Spirits. But rather, like, genuine variety between archetypes. I do think there's some very powerful decks in Pioneer right now that are going to stay just as good, if not get better, because they don't have to worry about gold fishing a combo strategy, which is like Naya Winoda. As far as I know, still the only deck in in Pioneer that can threaten a turn three kill. So if if the format gets more mid rangey, there's more removal. Maybe there's like ways to interact with Winoda's early plays, but I I think that's a deck you can kind of keep an eye on.
2: I mean look to cards that are banned in other formats yeah to see what might be good in pioneer now right like wilderness reclamation is not banned in pioneer and winota is not banned in pioneer so just uh keep an eye out for those cards
0: i will say as soon as uh, i had some free time this evening before we jumped on to record i actually joined a pioneer league for like the first time since we did our winota episode i think
2: and what deck were you piloting
0: is it in Seoul?
2: I knew it. Back to the. I didn't well. even. I didn't even have to ask.
0: I only got to play one match, but the first match was a good one. It was against Soul Flare.
2: Aye, 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 Okay.
0: So that wraps up our breakdown for this week. Really excited to see what happens with Pioneer. Maybe next week we can do a full Pioneer episode to see how this impact changes the meta game on week one.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to go back to Pioneer for some testing and some experimentation and see what's happening out there see what people are playing
0: dust off our cowboy boots put a put a piece of wheat in our mouth and head on to pioneer town
1: circle the wagons friends we're going to
0: take a quick break now and when we return we are diving into prowess in modern the red version and the other red versions stay with us And we're back. So no one on the Dive Down claims to be really big-brained modern players or, or Magic aficionados by any means, but I, I, I want to give us a little bit of credit because I do think in, like, January of maybe 2019 or so, Mono Red Phoenix featuring this eight prowess creatures as, like, the heart of this aggressive package broke out. And one of the first things that we did was play this deck. And I really felt like for the first time in a long time, I was an early adopter of a strategy. And, and we even had a little bit of success at first. And it's been really fun watching this deck like evolve and go through the ebbs and flows of the format ever since. It's gone through a lot of changes, even been hit by bans at one point. And now, many, many years later, it feels like there's three versions of this deck, if not four. So today what we're gonna do is talk about all the flavors of Prowess, in maybe the most ambitious dive-style episode yet. And Dave, as really the reigning prowess champ on the show, the person who's never given up on this strategy, how does today make you feel?
2: It makes me feel like what I've always known in my heart to be true is actually true, and that's every week is prowess week on the dive down when I'm here. I like it. I'm, I'm I'm excited to talk about it. I mean, we have talked about this deck a couple times, and I constantly have talked about it over the last three weeks, so hopefully people aren't annoyed. So like Stan said, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what's going on with the shell right now, but we're also going to talk a little bit about fundamentally trying to talk about what kind of deck is this, because I don't think that's a simple question. And I also think that uh, we're going to have some different opinions among the three of us about what kind of deck this is. So we'll even take a swing at what one of magic's big questions as part of that discussion. So let's see if you can guess what that is, as we're talking, but at any rate, what's going on with prowess right now? Well, the core of the deck is really familiar to anyone who has spent time in the queues on magic online, the red core of this deck, the eight, one drops four bolts, four Manamorphos, and four light up the stage has been pretty stock since January of 2019. Just about... I, I actually don't think that Light Up the Stage was had been, was printed in January of 2019. When did Ravnica Allegiances come out? That would be... Yeah,
1: I remember when we talked about Spectacle pretty early.
2: That would literally be in January, I think. That would be like mid-January 20... is when that set came out. Because Guilds is the fall set. Allegiance is the, the winter set. And you know, I'm a frequent champion of the deck. Stan likes it sometimes. Shane says he likes it, but he always chats me asking why he isn't playing Burn when he's piloting it.
1: Look, Dave, I just don't want
2: to have to cast Burst Lightning in a deck, okay? I understand if it has Burst Lightning, I send it back. I don't generally put it in these decks either, but a lot of people are these days. Fancy shock. It really isn't a unique thing that's happened with Prowess over the last few weeks, though, because it was a deck that generally had a strong monocolor identity. Kind of outside of the the companion era, that suddenly shifted into lots of different builds all at the same time. And while we've seen all of these different iterations at different points in time, suddenly, for example, in the Mana Traders uh, tournament, we saw three different flavors of it in the top eight, I believe. Yeah, and many more through the top thirty-two and things like that.
0: Exactly. Ban lava dart.
2: Right, it might be the best aggressive deck in the in the in modern. It might not even really be an aggressive deck. Let's talk about what that term means a little bit later as well. <laughs> but first, let's start with a quick primer on Mono Red Prowess and the core that seems to be persistent from build to build.
1: All right, so let's talk about the core of this deck. Right, so Prowess and Prowess variants are decks built around. You may have guessed the keyword Prowess. So, which reads, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. And what's somewhat easy to overlook at times is that this isn't just instants and sorceries, even though it's primarily is, you know, what's supporting this in your game one game plan. Like your sideboard artifacts or enchantments or planeswalkers, if you're crazy, they all trigger prowess. And that's a nice part of like, like the artifact power of modern in my opinion at least, because they can still help your early prowess damage while hindering the opponent's game plan. So you're playing like a uh, one-mana Grafdigger's Cage. That's two-mana. You're playing like a one-mana Relic of Progenitus. You're playing a two-mana Grafdigger's Cage uh, versus Dredge. You're stopping their game plan while advancing your own.
0: Even zero-mana
1: Tormod's Crypt.
2: Tormod's Crypt. Shane, Grafdigger's cage costs one mana. I'm going to have to take some money out of your paycheck for that.
1: Oh, man. Well, I was just, I was, I was, I was worried. I was checking myself. You think that a Dredgeman like me would know how much cage costs, but I haven't, I haven't been playing dredge in a long while. Prowess seems kind of innocuous. It seems a little simple, right? Like it's just a little temporary bonus on the turn that you're casting the spell. Why is this worthy of building a deck around? You know, outside of like a an is it spells deck in limited, right? Like the traditional blue-red spells or something. The reason is math just works, right? It all adds up. It adds up quickly.
0: Two plus two equals five.
1: That's the best part about this deck. This is like this is like Tron. This is aggro tron. Okay. <laughs> one plus one plus one equals seventeen. The most traditional prowess builds, like the mono red ones, they have cheap creatures that have prowess, cheap burn spells that trigger prowess, cheap cantrips, in quotes, to put together a deck that you you can lethal someone on turn four, maybe even turn three sometimes. In some of the other variants, you'll see that, and even the mono red deck, right? the, The burn spells that are cheap are sometimes a little bit weird because they're designed to enable triggering prowess as often as possible, which frequently means less immediate direct damage than some other potential options
2: like you might see in a traditional burn deck. Yeah, so let's go through the different cards kind of bucket by bucket for the traditional mono-red prowess core deck. So what it really starts with is the creatures, right? And some would say, I think that the most important cards, the cards that make this deck work the most, are Soulscar Mage and uh, Monastery Spear. They are two different one cmc red spells they're one twos and they have prowess we don't have to read them more than that you just ha- you have eight one drops that have prowess that have different things monastery Swiftspear has haste soul scar mage has that sometimes worthless and sometimes incredible uh, withering effect that goes with your burn spells but that's what it is these two creatures allow you to put on really strong pressure very very early and also have enough power to be playable late game if you need to use them now Obviously, they're worse in the late game, but um, you still can hobble together a game plan based on them because they are so cheap. Each of the different takes on these builds, they build it out to there, but these eight cards are the core of every single deck that we look at when it comes to prowess. There's no reason for them not to be, right? Yeah, it really wouldn't be much of a
1: deck, I think, if we didn't have these eight creatures.
2: Yeah. Generally, the other card that's in many of these decks, or some of these decks, I guess, is... Bedlam Reveler is kind of the top of the chain, right? Occasionally, it's a, you have a two drop like Fiend in the mix, but really, Bedlam Reveler is the thing that that allows you to have something that goes from you know threats that are good in the early game to a threat that's good in the mid to late game because Bedlam Reveler draws you cards and it also has a body with has a decent body with prowess attached to it.
1: What's What's good about Bedlam Reveler too is it, it has you know it's it's it looks like a crazy card, right? Six red, red. But because the cost reduction is one generic mana for each instant sorcery in your graveyard, you just get the cost reduction naturally by playing out your game plan. And then it also has prowess. So it's, it's also a prowess creature that then is hopefully using the cards you're drawing off the top And then anything else that you get off the top after you get those three cards is just increasing the damage output. And I think I found Bedlam Reveler to lead some of my most convincing and interesting wins where it's like turn seven, I'm doing like 16 damage or something.
2: Yeah. I'm going to refer to the episode that we did with Ryan Overturf back in April, I think a few times tonight. But one of the big things that I got out of that episode when I was talking with him was just a reminder that Bedlam Reveler is not a card to be glossed over. And it's super powerful. It does wild things. It saves you from really sticky situations. It's a card that you shouldn't cut from the deck lightly. And in fact, two of the variants that we have tonight did cut this card, but I think they have good reasons. Importantly, do you think that Bedlam
1: Reveler is like the demon in the art, or is it like that little night guy walking across like the the lava bridge? It's definitely the demon.
0: Yeah, because it's creature type devil horror.
1: Well, maybe he's just a devil horror in armor trying to escape is like his mad stepbrother for
2: stealing his Nintendo. This sounds like the start of a they might be giant song. Can we move on before we get to a second verse? Yeah,
1: don't let's start, Dave, okay?
2: So, one thing that I wanted to point out that's interesting is that, you know, unlike some aggro decks that rely a good amount on creatures, prowess decks actually are pretty threat light in general. The the decks that we looked at today only played between 12 and 17 threats in total, each each one. And so, in some Decks, it's basically four Bedlam Reveler, four Monastery Swift Spear, four soul SoulScar Mage. and the other ones, they kind of up it a little bit, but that's that's the range. It's barely more threats than burn, I think if you think of it that way.
0: With worse spells, too.
2: Okay. More you can talk about that later. So let's talk about the spells that Stan just espoused so much love for. The spells that we want in prowess generally have a few qualities that we're looking for, right? They're cheap, they're powerful. And if they can, they draw us a card.
1: Or they're cheap and draw
2: us a card and do one point of damage. Yeah. I mean, is that so much to
1: ask for? Sometimes they draw two cards
0: to the exile zone, so you can't even interact with them.
2: So these are the main three things that we're looking for. And you'll notice that they're prevalent in the sets of cards that are present in each build. As things kind of iterate off of the main core, that's what it is. But there are three spells that are present in every build of prowess in one form or another. There's lightning bolt, of course, right? Great red card. It's removal, it's reach. My second child is named after it. <laughs> the second card that's pretty much always a four of is Lava Dart. It's really good utility. It lets you extend your mana for extra damage or extra spell triggers with its flashback ability.
1: Yeah, it's like a single point of damage as cast. Like, that's a limitation, right? So it's like, you have to cast it and then recast it from the graveyard, ditch a land, you get two damage out of it. So it's like, it's 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 tricksy. It's a, it's a tough card on rate sometimes.
0: Well, I think that's one way to look at it, and we might get into this later, but the prowess triggers mean that each side of Lava Dart is at least two damage, if not more, depending on how many creatures you have.
1: So th- well, it's a situational damage, Stan, as we'll talk about.
2: And then the last card that's basically in all these decks is Manamorphose. Manamorphose is just a card that's pretty much broken. You can fix your mana a little bit. You can get an extra spell trigger and draw a card. It lets you... P- have your turn twos suddenly turn into turns where you play four spells or something like that. Like There's a lot of wild stuff you can do with Morphos. The last card I would talk about quickly that's really important, we mentioned it earlier, is Light Up the Stage. The red-black version doesn't run it, which I felt like was kind of surprising. But this deck goes through a lot of cards, it wants lots of cards, and so when Light Up the Stage was printed... That was basically the engine that really made this style of deck possible. You know, people thought they were going to put it in burn. It hasn't totally found a home in burn as it's turned out, but it's really important to this deck because you can cast it for one mana. It gives you a spell trigger and it gives you some extra cards for your hand that sometimes you can just play right away. One of the best plays you can make off of, uh, off of light at the stage sometimes is to fire off. Fired off turn two off of a lava dart when you already have a monastery swiss out. So all of a sudden you're doing this like massive turn three.
0: You can even get it for no mana with like a gut shot effect or uh, flashbacking a lava dart out of the board.
1: Yeah, like a brief strate- strategic aside here is I think Dave, what you said is really important and makes sense because I feel like this deck is often more about like big turns than chipping away. And So like setting yourself up with that light of the stage, you're getting a little bit of damage like that turn two, right? But then turn three can often be much bigger because you have access to more cards, more spells, likely more mana. And that then sets up, you know, maybe even another prowess creature, which then sets up kind of that larger turn that can be really big damage. And I'm sure we're going to get into those aspects later. But I think that's something that you you might be tempted to be like, okay, I'm going to save my light up the stage to when I'm, you know, hellbent or top decking or something like that, when in fact, it might just be better to see those cards now and have access to like a five card hand rather than say, okay, now I'm empty. Now I can fire off my light up the stage.
2: Absolutely. I I think that the way that I think about this a lot and we'll talk about later is it's about chipping away until you can have a big turn. that's kind of another way to think about it too. At any rate, to close out the spell section, there's basically between 24 and 28 spells in each of these decks. Most of the decks have between 18 and 19 lands, so that's kind of like the general constraints of the construction of a prowess deck. Uh, 12 to 17 creatures, 24 to 28 spells, 18, 19 lands. As far as spells that you're looking for to fill out the rest of your deck, you're basically looking for new keep cheap cantrips. You could have, like, a crash-through style effect, Misha's Bauble, others. Like, those are cards that definitely will open my eyes when I think about stuff that I can potentially play in prowess. Now the mono-red version has extra burn to fill in the rest of its build, and the other decks have other things. But um, that's kind of where how the spell suite is put together and really how the decks are constructed as, like, an outline goes.
0: So do you think this all just adds up into, like... Go deck.
1: Yeah. I've heard I've heard, you know, plenty of smart people say like this is the de facto aggro deck, right? And I think Dave that you and some other people don't necessarily think about it that way.
0: I thought the smartest people of all were saying that this is the new infect.
2: We did say that at one point in time as well. Yeah, I know. I think it's weird. Like so as part of the prep for this episode, like I mentioned, I went back and listened to our bonus app with Ryan Overturf noted prowess enthusiast in modern very into dispelling preconceptions about cards that should or should not make it into this deck like he's pretty he's pretty tied to loving the the mono red version so i feel like the other builds in this in this wouldn't necessarily interest him but so i wanted to make sure i had a good recollection of the topics we covered here and how we before and how we could build on it so go back and listen if you want to hear about like what he has to say about how to build prowess how to play it and all those kind of things But on my re-listen, two things really stuck out, and I want to talk about them here quickly for a second, and we'll probably talk about them throughout the whole episode. One is, Ryan said that Prowess is a deck that can threaten a turn three kill, but also has the ability to close out a game that gets to turns seven and eight, is what Pete kind of said. The second thing is that he said is, Prowess is not a burn deck, it's a tempo deck. And when I listened to that again just now, because we've been having some discussion about the right way to approach playing this, that really stuck for me because I think these are, are related to each other and they also kind of inform the way that he kind of thinks you should attempt to pilot the deck, which is basically, you know part of this deck's bad reputation is because people think that all you can do with it is go fast. And so they compare it unfavorably to burn in certain situations, which is a deck that mostly has to go fast in order to win. Whereas I think that cards like Bedlam Reveler, cards like Light Up the Stage, and the other builds, cards like Tarmogoyf and card, you know, other things in the red-black version like Luris, they help you have a mid-game plan. And that's the reason that these other versions exist.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that's like an area of weakness in my thinking about this deck because I'm I just feel like I need to close the game out quickly because I sort of have this feeling that the individual values of my cards are kind of low and I like need to cash them in when I see some kind of opening or a potential opening, right? But it's often not a great call because I'm not actually maximizing my long-term damage and I think that's A consequence of not having enough reps to think ahead enough. And as we've talked a lot about in the past is, is thinking ahead is, is probably the most fundamentally good skill that you can have in a game like magic is what's happening next turn. What's happening two turns or three turns. What can I set myself up for? and What what my opponent do to give me an opening. And like with something like burn, each card is ostensibly like has a baseline amount of damage, but prowess that's that baseline is different and it's frequently just lower as printed on the card, but because of the synergy and the synergistic nature of, of prowess as a deck, you have to use each card in the, at the most opportune way in time to maximize that damage. And so that's kind of the, the struggle I constantly feel is like, when do I use this lava dart? Because it's, it's only if it only does one point of damage and I swing for like two with a prowess creature is that really the, the best use I can get out of that card? And the answer is almost certainly no.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's all that subtlety of getting practice in and, and trying to figure out, is this a game where I can go fast? The coast is clear. A game where I have to go fast for some reason because someone has a combo or something that they're trying to do that's not interactive. Tron, for example. Or is this a game where I'm going to transition into a late game game? you know, lose some early advantage, have to rebound and come back and deal the last seven points of damage to somewhat a few turns down the road. So I think that, you know, that really highlights how this deck is different from burn because burn doesn't always have ways to be able to recover later on. If you gets into top deck mode, where I think that prowess does in in a lot of different ways. But before we get to that, I did utter some words that I would love to get your take on a minute ago. And that is TDD hosts. What's a tempo deck?
1: I keep hearing that. I hear it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean let's that's, that's,
2: start the biggest Reddit reply thread in our podcast history by tackling this nearly unanswerable question from Magic's history.
1: I always, I mean, that's the whole reason we started a podcast is to make people upset with us on Reddit, right? Yeah, exactly. I thought
2: we
0: started this to get spoiler cards from Wizards.
1: Well, we burned that bridge this episode. We're on on to other things.
0: So I always thought a, a tempo deck was one that runs cards that bounces creatures back to their opponent's hand.
1: Well, I don't know, Dave. You you, you had some you have some choice notes here. I'll I'll take I'll take a little load off your voice and, and read some of these, right? So MTG wiki, tempo is a term to describe the pace at which one plays threats. Some people consider it as one of the most fundamental components of magic. Tempo decks operate on the premise that any type of disruption spell can be converted into damage, given a superior board state. While all aggressive decks do this to a degree, tempo decks lean heavier on conditional disruption that are more punishing to particular answers. Okay, yeah,
2: that sounds a little bit like what Stan just said, yeah. right? Yeah, bouncing a card. Tem-
1: yeah, the, what's the most tempo card of
2: all time? It's a uh, vapor snag. Um, vapor snag. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, vapor snag. I mean, I think that that's reasonable. What were some of the other Reed, fun statements that I found? Read Duke
1: 2014. Mana is a resource, and one aspect of tempo is making sure your mana doesn't go to waste. So using your mana is an aspect of a tempo deck, probably. A tried and, two strat- tried and true strategy is to deploy a lot of cheap creatures and try to win the game before your opponent can answer them all or have time to cast more powerful spells. While plenty of creatures cost only one or two mana, the vast majority of answer cards are more expensive than that. Maybe in 2014, Reed. Um, A lot of his discussion is in the idea that we're using our cards faster than our opponents and with better mana efficiency. Okay, Lab Maniac from a nice Reddit thread last year. Tempo decks in general play cheap threats and cheap spells, supporting and protecting those threats. The combination of control and aggro This means that cards that are generally less powerful, but cheaper. That can mean cards that are generally less popular and cheaper. The tempo deck might prefer spell pierce over negate because the one mana difference matters to them since they want to use as much of their mana on pressure as possible. That makes good sense.
2: I actually, in a way felt like that was the clearest answer because it, it sort of places several different decks together that maybe we don't think of as being similar. You know, in my mind, now, this will probably get me blown up on Reddit too, but in my mind, I've started to think over the last couple of weeks that prowess is actually more like death shadow than it is like burn sure. in a way, because it's basically just cheap spells dot deck, right? And that's what it is. It's like, how do we have spells that draw cards, have cheap effects, get reused more often, and leverage that for some kind of advantage?
0: So I feel like the common thread in some of these uh, definitions is that. Tempo or tempo decks refer to the specific mana cost of the spells, creatures, or whatever you put into your your deck. And I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that as just like tempo means cheap spells. Because you can have like tempo strategies that are doing powerful things at two to four mana.
1: And almost every aggro deck is cheap spells, you know, prim- fundamentally. Mm-hmm. I, I, this makes me think kind of back on our advantage episode and like examining the types of advantages decks are trying to create and then create the win with. And like maybe with tempo, you, you you do have the the cheap creatures and cheap spells, but I think there's an the additional expectation of disruption in some way because that is what allows you to create a more significant or potentially more significant mana and like a virtual card advantage. It's like maybe tempo advantage is like the sort of standalone you know, cup of advantage, right? And like, you know, keeping someone off their game plan because of the threats you're presenting and then the answers you're representing is often preventing them from winning their game or advancing their game plan. So that's like a subtle difference, right? Where it's not just pressure, it's like pressure plus potential answers, like even like a prowess trigger to get something out of bolt range or something like that.
0: Yeah, Shane, I, I, I like that a lot. And I, I think it really comes down to that combination of both like creatures and aggression, but also making sure that whatever your opponents are doing with their mana doesn't actually, as you put it, advance their plan. So whether that's bouncing a creature back or bolting it, as long as you have a creature on the board and they have an empty board, you've now basically undone their investment to the board while maintaining that advantage, be it a board advantage or a tempo advantage, however you want to put it.
2: All right, I think that's good. Let's see how that holds as we discuss the deck from here. So, well, four decks, really. Right, Stan. You want to take us through the uh, yeah. the different flavors of the Neapolitan ice cream that is Prowess we have to share today? Sure,
0: I'd love to. I'll, I'll go through the decks, who played them, and and just like a quick little superlative introduction to all of them. We'll talk about the blue red version. We've all played this one on the podcast. It's currently the most popular version of Prowess, and it was essentially born out of the power of Core-21's Stormwing Entity, also using blue for Sprite Dragon often. The occasional opt as well, and some interactive sideboard pieces, such as Spell Pierce or Aether Gust. Again, trying to disrupt their opponent's plan while also presenting some of these powerful threats. There's the Rep red-black version which Dave played for this week's episode and this is really a relic of the companion era red-black uses black for Luris in the sideboard to help buy back some of these super fragile one drop or two drop creatures as well as generate extra value off cards like mishra's bobble or seal of fire which you can continually buy back to either present additional prowess triggers maybe go to the face maybe kill creatures in the side or draw you cards as well Sometimes the red-black version will also have hand disruption or unearth. There's uh, the fringiest deck of all, which is red-green, and I played this one. This version uses green for bigger threats than just the prowess creatures, though they're obviously there as well. This one will run Tarmogoyf and Hooting Mandrills. It also gains access to some unique sideboard technologies such as Clothis, Choke, and Ancient Grudge. And uh, this deck usually has a copy of yagantha is it gigantha yagantha
2: i'm good with the soft j if you want sure
0: yeah it's got giganta it's got giganta in the sideboard giganta
2: too. giganta hey i a love big, the Pixies. big elk a big big elk
0: so good we should do a Pixies this, podcast after the dive down runs its course my
2: my bad medium bad band from like 10 years ago used to cover that song actually it's and we're going to... story, Dave. It's a good one. It's a fun one to sing.
0: Man, I wish I got to hear that band.
2: So we'll... F- it's up on Vimeo, but I'll never tell anybody where it is.
0: And of course, we're going to frame these three two-color decks against uh, the original mono-red version. We've all played some version of this deck on the podcast before and after the Faithless Looting ban. Arguably, this is the standard by which all other prowess decks are measured against. This version is very fast, it's aggressive, and Bedlam Reveler can help it be resilient too. So I got to ask, we're going to try to dive into four decks, more or less. Do you think it's novel to see this consistent shell of like these prowess creatures, Lightning Bolt, Manamorphose, and Light of the Stage, exist across four otherwise distinct strategies?
1: Just What just popped into my head is control decks. So a lot of control decks will have like a similar spell suite, but then the accoutrement, like uh, apart from the the fundamentals is a little bit different. Like maybe it's a, maybe it's a stone blade deck. Maybe it's a, an uro style deck. Like, you know, it's, it's what, what speed, what threats do they want to offer? That's the only thing I can think of. That's like remotely similar. And even that is very different. Like a, 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 uh, a Sultai control deck is very different than an, an Azorius-based one or something like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think when you said Uro, you kind of hit the nail on the head. There's definitely a bunch of people messing around with Uro plus Reclamation in Modern these days, or just kind of Uro decks. And it's kind of, we got Sultai Uro, we got Bant Uro, and we have um, Teemer Uro. Those are all f- different flavors of a similar shell.
1: Uh, Urza, is another card. And maybe this is just one of those things where it's like, what's the most powerful card or a set of cards that is in the color combination that we can modify and and tweak. And I think that if we're saying that some of the most aggressive or tempo style cards can be these red aggressive spells and red aggressive creatures, and then it's kind of seasoned to taste and meta, that's another, just another aspect of that, of that uh, aspect of magic.
0: Yeah, your season to taste for metagame, I think, kind of gets at something that I've really observed from both being and, and paying attention to these prowess decks, where I believe the decision to splash a second color beyond just the mono red version has to so- solve like one or two types of problems that seem to me recur in these prowess style decks. And the first problem is the threats. They're small, and there are a few of them, and they're really easy to you know, answer from opposing mid-range or burn-style strategies. And the other one, I think, is the interaction problem, which is extra colors give these prowess decks tools that you can use to interact with opponents as well that you might not have in a mono-red shell. Like, mono-red is never going to be able to answer an enchantment. But if you go to, like, some of these other colors, you have these additional tools that might be able to address whatever's happening in the metagame around you.
2: Yeah, I would say really quickly that that is very similar to the way that Death Shadow ends up in different colors, I think. Yeah, perfect beca- example, Dave. It becomes like, do you want to play Summer Denial? Or do you want to play Traverse the Olinwald? Maybe you want to play both sometimes. Do you want to have space for Lightning Bolt? Like, that's that's a lot of what goes on with that deck as well. And I don't think it should be a surprise to anybody that those are similar cards that we think about playing in, in Prowess, too. Not Stubborn Denial, of course. But there's other, you know, it's a similar impulse.
0: So again, as I mentioned, this is a a more ambitious style of dive episode. And rather than going through the minutiae of every single card and every single strategy that all three to four of these decks have, we're instead going to take a minute to basically expound on what some of our experiences, reactions, and observations looked like playing these different versions, whether it was how we felt about some of the cards, how we felt about some of the spells, and whether or not we think that our versions of Prowess have legs so to start shane i was really excited for you to play is it prowess because it's like a deck that dave and i latched onto early though he and i have like different opinions of how much we enjoy this deck i gotta hear where do you fall did you like playing blue red prowess
1: did i like playing it sure it's it's, <laughs> it's enjoyable to play sure the uh, are the results of my games what i Was hoping for no, but I think that's I think it's less on the deck and more on me, and I've kind of been I think hinting in earlier strategic asides is that I think that you can miss you can mischaracterize your role and where you are in the game fairly easy with this deck, and you can say something like it's it's turn two and I have two creatures out and I can get like seven damage in and maybe it's a time to do that and you leave yourself empty-handed and maybe not and so i'll talk a little bit about the deck before i kind of get into the strategic implications of how this deck might play out so I think this is kind of already a known quantity, the it Prowess deck, because it's really, like you said, it's the most popular version of the deck right now. But I hadn't had much experience beyond like the old red Prowess decks, and I wanted to see what this variant felt like. And so I tested uh, Ganyan Chin's uh, Izzet Prowess deck from the Mana Traders Modern 15k, because they finished third overall. And I was like, well, if they did well with it, might as well test it. Players Like you said earlier, Stan, I think players have been stretching the old red prowess decks into blue mostly since Stonewaring Entity hit print because it's really tempting to want to enable this evasive 3 3 with prowess as early as turn 2, right? And people have also been wanting to find a home for Sprite Dragon, which has that prowess like ability text as well. And so there was a pressure to add an increased density of good creatures. And these are good, cheap creatures with prowess. And that really inspired people to tinker and develop what's now already this popular is it prowess build that we're seeing in pretty much every tournament list for the past weeks.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll just throw in one note really quick. There's a lot of tension around trying to figure out what a good two drop for prowess could be. And I think that's another impetus for where these builds come, come from. And essentially that's what the blue deck is. Storming yeah. entity is a two drop. Sprite dragon's a two drop.
1: So s- storming entity is good. It's, it's very easy to enable getting it onto the battlefield and the scry is really great because you are able to set up some action off the top of your deck and it's a very good attacker. What's interesting about it though is that it does require some thought to potentially hold some spells back if feasible because if you draw this off the top and you're, you're just top taking after that, that can be rough because you can find yourself where you're, okay, I drew this. Oh, next turn I drew a land. Next turn after that, I drew a uh, Soulscar mage. And this thing is just sort of rotting in your hand as opposed to being on the battlefield where you really need it. And so you, I, I definitely played a game or two where I was like not thinking about the potential of top decking storming entity. And that did hurt me. Sprite dragon was okay. I think there's a reason this is run in fewer numbers, and one is the fact that it it costs two mana and then only hits the battlefield as a 1-1. You get haste and flying, and those are really valuable, and the permanent buff with the plus one, plus one counter instead of the prowess buff is nice, but it's harder to get the card out of bolt range the turn you cast it, and then it, of course, can just die to fatal push at any point during the game. So we talked a little bit about the novel creatures in this deck um, I think the spells are where things get a little bit more different between Is it and traditional red. Um, you know the the red prowess deck of even a few months ago is running a little bit more Bernie spells. So you have things like Lava Spike. You have might have some Wild Slashes. You are going to have some, you know, probably a full that of Crash Through is typical. In, in place of those spells, this deck's running. More f- like quote unquote free spells like mutagenic growth and more gut shots. They'll have main deck opt as a cheap cantrip in blue that obviously red's not going to run. And I think the goal of these spells is ostensibly to provide more reasonable enabling of that early Stormwing and also providing potential protection from Bolt. Yeah. So Stormwing's a 3 3 before any prowess triggers. And then any instant spell you cast in response to a Bolt on the other side is just potential protection. So you tap out for that Storm Ring, you have a Gut Shot or a Mutagenic Growth or maybe even a Lava Dart from your graveyard that passes the Bolt test. And I think there's some significant pros and cons to this because something like five total Gut Shots and Mutagenic Growths aren't really doing a lot of good work by their Lonesome, right? Like These aren't necessarily great cards by themselves. But something like a Lava Spike is always three damage to your opponent. Always. I mean, unless they counter it. So that's why I mentioned earlier the synergistic nature of Is It Prowess, where every card needs to be used in the most opportune time and way time and method to be maximized. So Gut Shot's sometimes challenging to be worth a card because it's just doing one damage. Mutagenic Growth is great when the coast is clear, right? But it's rough as heck to time if your opponent's representing a Fatal Push or a Path to Exile. And all you have is that Soulscar mage on the battlefield.
0: Okay, I, I want to talk for a quick second here about feels versus reels. And I'd, I'd love yeah. I'd love both of you guys to maybe check me here. Is mutagenic growth worth a card if you're basically using it as a counterspell against Lightning Bolt?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it is in this deck because you have to set up that 3-3 prowess creature. And so if you lose that, it's such a huge setback for you that yeah you're basically playing it as like a spell pierce or something like that right like so it it has to it, it that's one reason that you would play a card like this i think i don't know if it's
2: i don't know if it's worth it though the big difference is that you're playing it not like spell pierce you're playing it like mental misstep against lightning oh, bolt because yes. it does not cost any mana and so you can tap out early, you can use it as part of an alpha strike with a, with a few one-twos to be able to get you really over the top. I mean, I found this aspect of this deck to be really powerful and useful, as long as I'm playing against decks that frequently have lightning bolt in them. So it's a little man, man, uh, meta-dependent, but I think it's definitely worth it.
0: So then, Dave, does that mean you're only spending mutagenic growth to pump an attacker against you know a a potential lightning bolt deck if it means lethal on that turn are you just holding it in your hand until as a protection spell at least until you know that i'm gonna win here if i connect
2: yeah i mean honestly that's the way that i approach playing most of prowess is holding cards as long as possible to until i have them dead so i'm not just emptying my hand just to empty my hand, I'm holding my cards and attacking for two or three and then seeing if they do anything. If they do something, I play a spell. Mm-hmm. If they don't do something, then I just wait. And then, you know, I try to disrupt them. Their turn three and turn four plays, keep my creatures coming in. And then hopefully I get an alpha strike in there at some point. And that's that's the game. This is an interesting aspect of the tempo nature of the deck,
1: too. Right. Which is if someone's holding up a fatal push. And you swing in for one damage, mm-hmm. then they're not as tempted to push it, right?
2: So like you're basically saying, use that now, or waste your mana. Yeah, definitely against fatal push. I'm tr- I'm trying to keep play a little game of chicken where it's like, how much damage do I have to do with to you with this card for you to use that fatal push that I know you have?
0: So I wonder, does then your approach change when you've got something like lava darter gutshot in hand? and the light up the stage at that
2: point. Absolutely.
0: So like at that point, are you actually unloading your hand a little bit more aggressively for the purpose of setting up light of the stage? Or are you okay with just dealing one point of damage and then hitting, using lighting up the stage during your second main?
2: Yes. It, it's, that's a really contextual question for me, <clears throat> but yeah, I often, it's either one. Like sometimes I will fire off lava dart pre-combat light up the stage pre-combat play a land from light at the stage, play another spell and attack. Yeah. Other times I'll leave up all my instants. swing in, except that I'm only going to get one damage off of it. And then light up the stage post-main and get ready for the next or post combat and get ready for the next turn. So there's a lot, that's the kind of like tempo nature of the play. And the other thing I would say here is that, you know, if we're just going to get into it now, you know, gut shot and lava dart are really good against certain types of decks in in the meta right mm-hmm. i've talked before about how good they are against a deck like in fact they're actually pretty good against um blue white um arrow control decks because you get to kill coaddle with them or you get to try to kill coaddle with them anyway and so a lot of times when they have to play a two-mana spell you lo- you gut shot it for nothing and then they have to force a negation it or something like that to get your guy, you come out pretty ahead in the exchange. So it really depends on the meta. I think. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, I think they're great against humans too. Like <clears> it's <throat> kind of uh, unintuitive maybe, but like humans will play a bunch of one ones that scale up before they cast their, uh, whatever three, three flying vigilance haste mantis rider. That's the one. That yeah. The but the big thing for me here is,
2: is yeah, exactly. The big thing for me here is just I try to hold the cards for as long as I can so that I have the options later.
0: And Sh- yeah. Shane, did you kind of, did you have to learn that by playing it? Did you have Dave's Insight before you played it? Or I'm
2: not sure I ever learned it,
1: honestly. <laughs> um, I think it's just, that's one of the challenges is like, is how do I set myself up for wins? And like my, my, the only deck I played a decent amount that does that is like Infect in the past. And this is very different because it has less protection inherently into the deck. And so you're sort of saying like, how do I set up a board state that then allows me to to burst? And in fact, is typically more chip damage. You know, sometimes you get that sweet burst, but a lot of times it also it is kind of like maneuvering yourself to a win. Um, I, wanna get, I just want to get back to the blue spells so that we can get onto the other decks. Um, the most common main deck blue spell is Opt. that feels like a natural fit to the deck. It's not doing damage though, but it does give you like this cheap cantrip to dig through your deck, give you some, a little bit of card selection. Is it better than Crash Through? I mean, maybe, probably. It must be if it's being played like this, but. I think the reason that
0: it's potentially better than Crash Through here is because you have flyers with evasion and you don't necessarily have to count on Crash Through getting blockers through your opponent's board.
2: Yeah, I'll also say that I think the the other reason is that it's an instant. It's an instant. And yeah. so you can protect stormwing entity with it. And
1: the sideboard is actually right now not super like leaning into blue. Like really what it's doing primarily are two pieces of cheap and powerful interaction that allow you again to do more of that tempo game which is spell pierce and aether gust. So I'm not going to give like a sleeve, believe, or heave on this deck. I just, I just wanted to go over it, kind of provide some insight. And I think we got to move on to Stan with uh, Gruul.
0: Do we want to talk about, before we move on, because I'm excited to talk about Gruul. I, I kind of feel like we glossed over Sprite Dragon a little bit. Bit of a contentious card. It was kind of like a late adoption to the blue-red strategy. Uh, did you like Sprite Dragon, Shane?
1: I mean, I think it's okay. Like I said, I think it's it's harder to protect on turn two. I think it's 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 fine as part of like a a go wide. If you get a chance to go wide, it uh, it, it hastens the speed at which you can win. Um, so like against Tron, a Sprite Dragon can be, can be great because you untap with it and do a good amount of damage, and then maybe you get one more turn to do even more damage, right? But against a Fatal Push deck, it's like ugh, I don't really like I don't really care for this.
2: You know how I feel about Sprite Dragon.
1: Still cold. You haven't warmed up on it at all.
2: Necessary evil. I think it's fine. I I don't know what card would be better in that slot. I don't think there is one. I also am still kind of conflicted about, like, sometimes I really hate drawing opt in this deck where I'm just like, thanks, opt for nothing, you know? And I miss Crash Through, but um, I think you have to play it, so.
0: Well, Dave, I'll present a candidate for you as a better alternative to Sprite Dragon. It's called Tarmogoyf. Love Maybe it. you've heard of it.
2: I have heard of it.
0: So, I played the red-green version, as I mentioned, um, and, like, the key differences here is Goyf, Hooting Mandrills, and then, like, some other cards that happen to appear in this version that also appear in the red-black version, um, like Mishra's Bobble and Seal of Fire. So, out the gate, I I will say, I actually liked Goyf a lot. It was kind of like, not only a better um, Sprite Dragon, but it's kind of like a better Runaway Steamkin, where Steamkin, you have to do some work to get it big. Goyf is just big because yeah. it's big. It's already big. Like after you've cast your spells, you don't have to resolve a Goyf, cast a bunch of spells, and then count on it to stick around. It's exactly. just going to stick around.
2: And that's why Seal of Fire and Misha's Bobble are there, right? Because they they power up Goyf and also okay. power up uh, Hootie Mandrels as well. But of course,
0: yeah. So they're obviously there to fuel Goyf, but like Bobble equals a couple points of damage thanks to prowess triggers, and Seal of Fire, in in my opinion, is better than something like Gutshot because, you know, Gutshot serves this purpose of enabling prowess Triggers and enabling Stormwing. Seal of Fire can be like two to three to four points of damage, both because of the prowess Triggers and wherever it's like pointing that direct damage to.
2: Yeah, I mean, as you start sliding out on the scale of what you're trying to do, there's no reason to run Gutshot in this deck, right? You don't need to abuse Phyrexian mana when you're moving into the mid game here. You're trying to do a slightly different plan
0: yeah i mean on that note i will say hooting mandrills kind of felt like the weirdest include to me because of the occasional tension between it and goyf like sometimes you have to delve away the only artifact or the only enchantment in any sideboard to get your hooting mandrills out and then you've shrunk your goyf effectively too so that doesn't feel great but there were definitely certain games where it's like i presented a four four That's out of fatal push range and either you chain a couple lightning bolts or it's just going to like take over and like maybe force you to double block or whatever. Definitely a a potent threat. Didn't feel like the best creature in the deck, but uh, I can also see this maybe like being replaced by something if more minds start focusing on this strategy. Because at the time of recording, I found like two copies of red green prowess in like modern's history period. And they were identical for the record. Uh, the deck also ran a couple copies of Abbot of Carol Keep, which kind of came and went from the mono red version. It definitely got more popular in the companion era with the black version. And Dave, I'll be curious to hear how you felt about it there. But this was like the best I've ever felt about Abbot of Carol Keep because it wasn't the only two drop in this deck. So, like, if I had a hand where I can do like one drop, turn two goif, Turn three Abbot of Carol Keep, that was usually pretty good because A, Carol Keep does let you play lands, and B, so many of the cards in your deck are one mana that playing Carol on turn three meant that, like, maybe I actually got a little bit of card advantage off of it as well. Not to mention that, like, extra point of power makes some of those prowess triggers even more punishing. Definitely gets even better late game like this was a card i was actually usually happy to have in my hand or to draw later in the game as opposed to something like uh, a soul scar mage might be kind of feels bad when you draw it on turns five i do want to mention the companion this was my first time playing with yagantha and it's there because it's just free to include you don't really have to stretch your deck at all to to put it in there the only condition it needs to meet is that none of your spells have like two pips of one color. And I I will even admit like I forgot about it a lot just because like the game's would end so early or it's like not really intuitive to your game plan and there was one game against humans where I could have fetched the yagantha from the companion zone but I forgot about it and my opponent reminded me by naming it with meddling mage.
2: <laughs> You're like, "Oh, good. Well, you got your value out of it then."
0: For sure. And and like, I will say casting this on turn five does help stabilize games. Like five mana five, five is still good enough for modern. I think just because it gets out of fatal push range and like, you need a pretty like concerted effort to get it off the board. Um, I mean, just to cut to the chase, even though maybe at first glance, this deck looks a little slower and clunkier. It can still kill quickly. Um, even though it cuts gut shot, it still has the four lava darts, which allowed me, at least in one match, to get a turn three kill against Tron. And using a lava dart to pick off a 1-1 walking ballista that my opponent had put there to just, like, present a blocker, I was still able to convert, like, enough damage to the face and prowess damage to clear that walking ballista and swing in for the kill. I think I had exactly lethal, so felt cool. And I think that's kind of one of the like most important things to be able to do with a prowess style deck. Um, whether or not like red black can do that, I'm curious to hear your take. But the fact that it can both threaten this turn three kill or like the turn eight kill is something like two boxes that I felt this deck checked off. And that's why it seems like in the right metagame, or maybe based on like your own personal preferences as a player, like this could be a defensible choice. Might feel really bad in a metagame full of like Jund and Death Shadow, where your creatures are going to eat Fatal Push for days. Otherwise, like I-, I didn't think that this was like obviously immediately worse than than any of the other versions that I've played.
1: Stan, do you feel like it did shore up some of the ostensible like weaknesses of red, or is it? Where it's like you know my my creatures are are big enough to dodge burn my creatures are big enough to block aggressive creatures on the ground,
0: kind of yeah. And I there have been points where I like stopped playing prowess, including recently with the blue red version, just because I felt like I was just too late to play it. And when lightning bolt is the most popular card in the format, like prowess gonna have a really hard time, in my opinion um just because like removing creatures can be really backbreaking since you can't count on like gutshot and lava dart to do burn damage to close the game
2: yeah i mean i will say i think that personally i think that red blue prowess is good when is good when lightning bolt is good like that's part of why i think the red blue deck was good and maybe is potentially can be good because of the Phyrexian mana storming entity lava or uh, lightning bolt test all that kind of stuff uh, I think that this this deck is probably a little bit better if you expect someone to um have to not have like ground threats in the way. So if your the coast is clear for Tarmogoyf and Hooting Mandrels to do their thing, this could be a better choice in that particular metagame.
0: I mean, the other thing that I thought it short up were opponents that knew to bring in life gain. So like if my opponent played a weather the storm, yeah, that sucks. But if I have like a 4-5 or a 5-6 Tarmogoyf, that's still going to get the job done eventually. And and I thought that was one of the places where I really liked what this deck gave me access to was like these consistently big creatures that I didn't have to like count on having a handful of burn spells to grow.
2: Yeah, that sounds, that makes total sense to me as well.
0: So David, you've now played the most prowess decks of all.
2: I played, no, well, you've played three and I've played three, right? Uh, I haven't played. I, I guess green. we're tied. We're tied. Yeah, we're tied on the leaderboard. So yeah, I played the red-black deck. I played Doomwake's deck from the Mana Traders July series as well, which I think went 8-1 and in the Swiss and was a top 8.
0: Wait, I think I just realized we all played Mana Traders top 8 decks, because that's just like where we defaulted to.
2: Well, I mean, I think it was the most recent source, and it was what we talked about last week for the breakdown, so it kind of was just a natural place to start. For these, and yeah, one of each of them made the top eight. So that's another reason that we thought that this would be an interesting episode to do. A little peek behind the curtain there. Um, the the big headline with this deck is that I think it is the longest game plan version of the deck and has some like play choice decisions that I made that I think deviate pretty significantly from from that idea that prowess has to be an aggro deck. And additionally, the big headline of this deck is that this is a companion deck, and not just because it can do it, but because it's a big part of the plan, because it still runs Luris out of the sideboard. And in a lot of ways, some of the engine part of this deck is the same as the red-black deck was when Luris was around, uh, fully fully formed pre-nerf, because it still tries to use Luris to create a powerful kind of card advantage engine via Musra's Bobble and Seal of Fire, like Stan mentioned at the top of the episode. They're keys to a deck that wants to be able to grind and replay cards, take it a little bit slower, not super slow, but still kind of like switch something that is ostensibly aggressive and strong into something that's a bit more kind of mid-rangey. And the re- the way that it does this is through adding black, right? So you need black to cast Lurus, but also the deck extends into black for basically three things. One is non-damage-based removal spell. It runs. For, it runs Fatal Push runs a three three of fatal push right there it's obvious why it's good helps in longer matchups it's cheap it runs thought as four of so it's great i think and interesting in this deck to have the dimension of being able to check if the coast is clear or not when you are about to cast a creature spell you can thought see someone and then take a look and then play your soul scar mage or you can go a different way if you need to it's. I wasn't sure if it was right, but there were times where I played Thoughtseize on turn one. Still, you know, like you would traditionally expect to do when you are playing a Thoughtseize deck, even though I had Soulscar Mage in my hand, which meant that Soulscar couldn't attack till turn three, because it felt like I just want to check, maybe take the removal spell, and then I know that my threats are going to stick. And then the last thing is that it runs a main deckable piece of graveyard hate in interesting Theros Beyond Death All Star Cling to Dust. First deck I've played with Clink to Dust and I got to say I thought it was really good. I thought it was super useful. It's a little bit of life game. You get a chance to draw a card off of it if you play it. It's 1 CMC. You can get rid of a problematic card like uro so you have a chance against that in game 1. Uh, it's tough in the other builds. The other prowess builds to be able to know what to do with uro and I think that this deck is kind of made to be able to give let you be able to hang against it even in game 1. So all three of these cards Come in handy with one little piece of tech that I liked in Doomwake's build, which is a Singleton Dreadhorde Arcanist, which was fun to have access to be able to occasionally go double Thought Seize, double Fatal Push, double Bolt. Sometimes um, it's not a key part of the deck, but it it is a card that you get to run. And then finally, you get to run a couple of other cards. You get to run uh, Coligan's Command. As a two of, which is a, an interesting way to, you know, a three CMC spell is pretty expensive for prowess, but this has so many options. You get to maybe kill a blocker, make them discard a card, bring one of your threats back. That's a nice thing to have access to in a prowess deck. And also on Earth, you get to just bring somebody back, and then Luris, of course, you get to replay threats. The weirdest thing about this deck is that it cuts back on what I think are two of the best cards in the traditional build. One is Manamorphose. It only plays it as a two-of. Manamorphose was kind of weird to me in this deck. You know, often I found myself sitting there being like, well, I just have Manamorphose. What am I going to do with this? Like, Or I have Manamorphose and Thoughtseize in my hand, and it's like, ah. So it didn't seem to lead to the same type of explosive hands as I was used to. And then the other thing is that it runs no light at the stage, which was kind of a bummer, but I think you have to do it to be able to run the Mishra's Bauble package. So I guess I get it. We're trading that early game card draw in for something that maybe we can do over and over again. Luris is still like a crazy lightning rod, of course, but... Uh, The creature suite in this deck was rough to me as well. You know, Stan said that he enjoyed playing two of abbot of carol keep this deck runs it as a four of because you need those extra threats you know without abbot of carol keep you really only have eight creatures and that's not that's not great that's not getting it done um i I just don't like this card (laughs) i feel like it being an x1 is like never something i'm happy about it gets pinged all the time like i never know when to play it when to like count on casting the card off the top when to not like it's pretty complicated from there. But I think you have to run it. And at least you can replay it with Luris, so it gives you an extra draw later if you if you do have that in the graveyard and get Luris out.
0: Yeah, I think what I'm hearing, like the kind of the key difference between my deck running Abbott and yours is that I only had two, so I I wasn't seeing it as often. And as a result, it kind of felt like I was just seeing it later in the game, more typically than say my opening hand, where it might actually feel like a problem. But also I had more creatures in my deck than you did. Just like my version has the most threats, I think. So if if my one drops or even my goifs are like eating removal spells, then Abductor Carol keep even at one toughness like might just be the one that gets to stick around the
2: longest. Yeah, absolutely. And like this deck hedges by having On Earth and against Command. I didn't get to do a lot of powerful stuff with those because newsflash, Path to Exile is pretty popular on Moto right now. So there were some sticky situations where I had to win matches through Path, and that's not always easy for prowess in general. And you know, blue red kind of suffers the worst from that, but this one is also vu- vulnerable to it as well, especially when you're lo- le- losing Luris. I think having Luris is good. It's totally fine. I think it's still pretty powerful. Um it's the type of deck where if you flood, sometimes it's nice to have something as a little bit of flood insurance to go and grab that card and then cast it on the next turn. Um the random mana sink is good. It kind of functions like it wants to be like Bedlam Reveler. For you, sort of in a way where it's sort of like a mid-game threat you bring out that lets you draw extra cards or lets you get extra value, and and that's good. You know, I had a couple of games where I won via playing Seal of Fire three times, and that was just enough to to get through. I think the major difference between this deck and the other ones is that you know I was just talking earlier about holding up spells for future turns. On this deck, I was really holding up spells for future turns. Like I was attacking in with one twos constantly with this deck and just being able to like kind of grind people out going into turn six for the win instead of trying to win on turn four. It happened a lot. I still managed to do okay with this deck. I got yet another prowess base three, two with this and I'm in the middle of another three, two right now. And so
1: infinite.
2: Yeah, I know still going, still going infinite with prowess decks. Um, But that's the big difference here is that I think it's twofold. One is if you want to go into the mid game, this deck is set up to do it the most, and the other one is if you think you're going to be playing against Uro, I think the main deck clean to dust are just what make that kind of possible to deal with. Fatal push helps too, of course. You can occasionally, you know, crack a fetch and kill Uro with a fatal push after it's been escaped,
0: or just crack a bobble, seal a fire.
2: Oh yeah, bobble to seal a fire. Yeah, all of those things help enable enable fatal push for sure.
0: So those are the different versions of red prowess and of course mono red is the one that kind of brought us here in the first place many moons ago we did touch on this fact that like these aren't burn decks and we can't really count on these decks to burn opponents out so to speak and i think a question that came up a lot in our testing for this episode is why are we playing this instead of burn and i have some theories maybe i'll present mine to start hear you guys react
1: Sure, I'm all ears.
0: Yeah, so I, I think the key reason here is that a it can present or th- at least threaten a faster kill than burn can. I don't think burn can kill on turn three, even with its best draws. And b I think the creatures here are are bigger than the creatures in burn ever can be. Like even if you're just counting on a swift spear and a soulscar mage, sometimes they're both just like swinging for six.
1: Thoughts reacts wrong answers only
2: shame what do you think
1: yeah i mean that's the question right is like what do these decks have over burn and i think there are com- some there's like competing takes like both within the community and with you right here stan you're like it's it's really fast and it's faster than burn but then we're also saying like is this an aggro deck or is it like a, a tempo deck that isn't necessarily designed to win super quickly is it is it the new infect of the format Or is it uh, a deck that can chip away and then put the opponent away with a huge turn? And I think that's kind of tough to wrangle. I think, I really think that one thing that's important is the ability to control the board and get more damage in at the same time due to the density of the prowess creatures, right? Unlike Burns creatures, and I think like what you said, Stan, is that you can get more damage with your creatures um, in in prowess. Burns creatures are really designed to get early chip damage in, and then they get kind of stonewalled, and maybe you're getting some spell trigger damage off of your Eidolon. Um, Prowess creatures can do more damage long-term, potentially, while also interacting with the board. Because you're not you're not always really sad to point your burn at a creature in a prowess deck, whereas if you're doing that in burn, you're not super happy, right, Dave?
2: Yes, stole my note stealer i stole I stole your note, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, I would try to get away from this paradigm of comparing prowess to burn. I don't really at this point think they're fundamentally similar decks. I think one thing that's interesting is like Stan you know this idea of is it a fast deck, but it's not a deck that has to be fast. Is sort of a nuanced question that reminds me of um, you know, when I was talking to Michael Rapp about Shadow a long time ago, he said that he always wants to play Shadow with Teamer Battle Rage, not because he has to have it, but because he wants to be able to threaten having it. And I feel like that's a similar thing that goes on with Prowess here, where it's like you don't have to win on turn three for this deck to work, but it is an important part of the game plan. That the potential is there and your opponent needs to be scared of dying very fast to this deck. And then sometimes they'll make mistakes that give you an opening to win more slowly against them. And so I think we'd be better comparing Prowess to that style of deck than Burn. Like Shane said you're okay with killing their creatures with your burn spells and prowess, and you're kind of unhappy about that in burn. So I think if you try to play prowess like burn, you'll lose more games than you should, and you're probably missing kind of an op- learning opportunity to see how these two decks are really different from each other.
0: You know, thinking back to like the very earliest versions of this deck when Arclight Phoenix was still in it, I think version 1.0 had four Bolt, four Lava Spike, and I think it even had four Skewer the Critics. And in a shell like that, like I think comparing it to burn makes more sense. Because in a shell like that, you might actually get to deal like the last six to nine points of damage with lightning bolt effects. Which doesn't really happen here at all, because we only play four lightning bolts now.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just evolved to be a different thing. And even on that episode we did back in April, which again, give it a listen if you're interested, Ryan Overturf was kind of like, Prowess was a separate deck when Mono Red Phoenix was also a deck. He's like, I thought that that deck, that this was better than Mono Red Phoenix because it had a better ability to get to the mid game. Whereas if you screw up your sequencing and you draw a Light Phoenix off of, um, light at the stage, you're, you're kind of in trouble. And at the time I was kind of like, no, that's not a big deal. Maybe he was right, but definitely they're distinct plans. Even those two decks are distinct plans. And again, I think it really comes down to you're not trying to empty your hand and use all your spells as fast as possible, even though they're bad spells like Lava Dart and Gutshot, Mutagenic Growth, things like that. You want to try to get value out of them while you're trying to execute your aggro plan. And I guess that is the definition of a tempo deck, right? A cheap spell where you're trying to get your opponent to give you value off of your cheap spells while it still advances your, your ability to attack.
0: Poignant. So in the waning minutes of the show, should we yell about spells? How so? And argue about whether or not spells like Gutshot and Lava Dart are good or even worth a card. Because that's the thing that I run into the most often playing any version of Prowess that runs Gutshot in particular is like, why am I settling for a deck that runs this bad card when I could play a different deck that has fewer bad cards?
2: Gutshot's amazing if you're going to be playing against creature decks. You know, like that's kind of what it boils down to. And it's incredible in blue red. If you're going to, if you need to protect your storm from mm-hmm. bolt.
1: Is it that good against creature decks? I mean, it's one damage, right? So it's like,
2: yeah, I mean, it's great against a deck like humans. Sure. Like Stan was saying, it's good with soul scar mage out to be able to generate a negative, negative, you know, negative one, negative one counter to be able to attack, give you an advantageous attacking position. Like there are, there are ways to use it. The big one is I'm going to kill Noble Hierarch, or I'm going to kill Thassa's Lieutenant when it comes into play, or I'm going to kill your infect creature. Like that kind of stuff is important. Yes. The, The big one, honestly, the big one for blue red prowess is Arbor Elf right? Like being, having that much access to cheap ways to kill Arbor Elf out of the blue red deck is important. It's great against Ice Quaddle, Like I mentioned where, you know, you have that back and someone thinks they've got you and then you just go, nope, I'm just going to kill your, I'm going to make you counter this. Or I'm going to make you force negation. It, it so this play still goes down the way that you want it to.
1: It's just so hard for me and maybe Stan, it sounds like to just like overlook like, so, so conditionally cool. Right, conditionally, yes, I see what you're saying, Dave. It has conditional uses, but then a lot of times it's like, well, why am I not just casting lava you know lava spike, like why am I not just playing a card one card that does four damage? why am I not just playing one card that does three damage? Why am I not playing you know uh you know, Eidolon is gonna routinely do three you know four damn you know f- like it's really easy to get a lot of damage out of your cards and like to know what the floor is. And you know me, I talk a lot about like potential floors versus ceilings. And for me, it's like, I know what I'm getting out of most of my cards in a deck like Burn. And I don't know what I'm getting out of a lot of my cards in a deck like Prowess. And it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, some of that's practice.
0: Yeah, I I think, Shane, one other way I would put it is like, sometimes I wonder, and I don't really have a, a clear answer or opinion on this just yet. But sometimes I wonder if we're falling into this trap of like, playing bad cards to make other cards better.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the whole idea. It's a synergy.
0: Right, right, right. Rather than being in a situation where we can play like good cards that also synergize with other good cards.
2: Yeah, it's, but the thing is, these are all cards that can be cast for no mana. Yes. At some point in time. And so what you're doing really is trying to break the rules, the most fundamental rule of magic in the best way possible, which is I'm going to cast more spells faster. And that's, that's kind of what it comes down to. And if I get a card out of those spells, it's absurdly good. If I don't get owned by casting those spells and get an O for one out of them, you know, like kind of get more card neutral, then it's fine. If I am playing Lava Dart for one mana to swing in with my Swift Spear on turn two for two damage, that's bad. Like, that's not what the card is for. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a burn spell. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: I think it's tempting to say, like, these spells are bad while I'm not playing Boros Charm, right? And I'm of course, as guilty as anybody for just trying to lean towards that. I think it's just harder, you know, fundamentally, where it's like, it's harder to say, it's harder to get the value and to like get all the
2: juice out of that lemon and then, you know, spray
1: it on your opponent.
0: (laughs) That's bad manners. You could get disqualified for that.
2: But think about what you're saying too. The difference between those two things is so vast, right? One of them is zero mana. The other one is two mana. And yeah, you have to make your deck work a certain way to make it work. Yeah. But that's that's the difference. And Boros Charm is like one of the most annoying cards to play against when you're playing burn. But I always felt like it was one of the cards that I kind of sometimes hated to draw and burn. Because a lot of times I'm like, great, this is just four damage, but my opponent's at 10. Sure. Like, cool. That's not going to help me get any farther. But Lavidar has the same problem if you're in a situation where you're where you can't maneuver to get value out of it. And that's what's frustrating.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm i kind of coming to the conclusion that like, wherever you stand on whether these cards are good or not, I think it all kind of depends on like, more external forces, where we could be in a situation where like, you want to be the pilot of the deck that has a bunch of gutshot effects, because you're going to be dealing with a bunch of x1s a lot. Whereas we may be in a totally different metagame in three months where you actually just want a turn to Goyf instead and like Seal of Fire is a much more reliable like way to spend a card than what Gutshot or Lavatar might offer.
2: Yeah. I think that's the thing that's the most interesting about the fact that these separate shells exist is that for a long time, it was like prowess would come and go from the metagame depending on how good those cards were. And now it feels like there's a chance that there just could always be a prowess deck around because Monastery swift Spear, Soulscar Mage, plus some spells is a good enough thing to build off of a platform.
0: Maybe one day the blue red version might even be a Delver
2: deck. Uh, People have tried so many times, so many times. All right. Fun discussion,
0: fun decks. Always excited to talk about anything that runs Lightning Bolt. And and this time we got to talk about like 3.5 Lightning Bolt decks. So I think this is an absolute win.
2: <laughs> it's a full place out of Lightning Bolt decks.
0: That does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern or pioneer you can tweet us at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com if you'd like to support the show you can join our patreon joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret slack channel And days like today when there's a bnR announcement that slack channel is lit it's lit basically every day sometimes sometimes it's a little sleepier on weekends because we're not at work and you know we're hanging out with our families but most weekdays, especially BR weekdays, best place on the internet is the Dive Down Slack. Of course, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring our show. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code THEDIVEDOWN, all one word, to get 20% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and soul. Scar! Man!
2: Conditional damage!
1: Was that a Metallica
2: thing? What was that? Yeah,
1: that was me doing a Metallica thing. (laughs) Conditional damage is my favorite Ride of of the Lightning B side. Conditional damage!